Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. You know what? I wonder if I should shut my car off. Shut your car off and open the garage door, Al. I'm not in the garage. I'm in a parking lot of a hockey rink. <laughs> okay. With people on either side of me watching me with my big Very busy red girl. microphone. Well, I I'm am... super important. <laughs> well, I'm going in severely blind today. So we'll just get started since you actually have no idea what's happening. No idea. Arlene and Seymour Tankleff were married, and they adopted Martin, who was born August 29, 1971, and they lived on Long Island. Okay. Seymour founded Tankleff Associates, an insurance agency, and he sold the agency in 1985, but he did remain active in the community and business affairs. In addition to his son, Seymour had a daughter by a previous marriage. Her name was Shari Rother. In 1988... Seymour was 62, Arlene was 54, and Martin, the son, Marty, was 17. Okay. On the night of September 5th, 1988, Seymour was hosting a poker game at his house. Suddenly, Seymour! Sorry. I had to. The game ended at 3 a.m. with the last guest, Jerry Stewerman, Seymour's friend and business partner, being the last to leave. So Marty wakes up on the morning of September 6, 1988. And this is supposed to be his first day of senior year at his high school. So Marty gets up, he leaves his bedroom, and he noticed that all the lights were still on in the house from the night before, and that's not normal. He also goes and finds that the house is unlocked and the alarm was never activated, you know, the home alarm. Right. So then he goes to kind of investigate a bit more and goes to his parents' bedroom and finds his mother, Arlene, dead in the bedroom. And I read reports that she was basically decapitated. Oh, God. Yeah. And his father, Seymour, he found him on the floor of the room where he had just had that card game the night before. And okay. Seymour was bloody and barely alive. So in an attempt to help his father, Marty put a towel around his father's bloody neck and a pillow under his feet, and then he called 911 and ran to a neighbor's house to get help. Could you imagine being a teenager and finding that? No. My God. Oh, traumatic. Oh. When emergency personnel arrived, Marty told them he thought a man named Jerry was responsible for the attack on his parents. So Detective McCready is going to be the lead detective on this case. And he was from the Suffolk County Police Department. So he arrived on the scene at 7.40 a.m. And Marty told him the same story about a man named Jerry harming his parents. So Myron Fox shows up and he's the godfather of Marty and the family's attorney. And he arrived around 8 a.m. And he came and he was going to take Marty to the hospital so that he could be with his father who was in critical condition. Mm. But Detective McCready told Myron that Marty had already been taken to the hospital. In reality, Marty was still at the house being questioned by police. So why'd they say that he was taken to the hospital? Was he mistaken? No. He just didn't want the attorney... He didn't want... ...to get to, to get Marty. To, ...to Marty. That's shady. Well, I guess because he's also a suspect. I'm Not that he's a suspect, but he was there, so... Right. So then Marty asks to go see his father at the hospital and the police refused to take him and insisted that he needed to go to the station to be questioned further. And then at this point, Seymour is transferred to Stony Brook University Hospital because he's in pretty bad shape. Like I said, when the police arrived, Marty did 
identified Jerry as the suspect, and he was his father, Seymour's bagel store partner. He also owed Seymour half a million dollars. Wow, okay. Had recently violently threatened Arlene and Seymour, and he was that last guest to leave from the poker game. Okay, but but can I just ask a question? Yeah. If you are threatening, if, if I have a, a business partner who's threatening me that I owe half a million dollars, would I have them at my house playing poker? I know. Unless Doesn't make sense. I was trying to, I, I don't know, it just sounds st- like if you were threatening me, I would not have you at my house. That's a good point, Mayor. But, okay. Thanks for paying attention. <laughs> Well, despite this motive, he was never really considered a suspect. Instead, Detective McCready zeroed in on Marty, well, because he literally had blood on his hands because he had tried to help his father. Of course, he tried to help his father. So the police take Marty to the station and they interrogate him for about five and a half hours. During that five and a half hours, he was never offered food. He was only given one cup of coffee. He kept saying he didn't do anything to his parents. He offered to take a polygraph. Where's his lawyer? That's a great question. He was never read his Miranda rights. He asked to see a lawyer, and he was refused the right to speak with that that Myron Fox guy. And Marty, now remember, he's only 17, and yeah. he wasn't provided with an adult of any sort at all, and he obviously should have been under the circumstances. That's insane, and you're zeroing in on one person. Especially when it kind of points to... Jerry. At this point, you don't know, but you have to go through an investigation. A fair one. (laughs) At one point, listen, Detective McCready told Marty that his father had awakened at the hospital and identified him as his mother's attacker. So at that point, Marty says that his father is not like a liar. So maybe he blacked out and did it. He just maybe he just doesn't remember because his father would never lie. Right. So the detective is saying, okay, and he writes up this confession. Then finally he read Marty his Miranda rights. Marty then immediately recants the confession, the I might have blacked out confession, and refused to sign it. Good. (laughs) And Marty never saw what Detective McCready wrote, but the verbal confession, you know, is what they're going to go on now. Even though it's kind of a bullshit confession. I might have blacked out. Like, they basically convinced him that he did it. So what's your explanation? And he's like, I guess I blacked out and did it. I don't he's know. He's a fucking minor. Yeah. Once again, I don't understand. But it happens all the time. Oh, yeah. People confessing to something they didn't do. Now, doing all these podcasts, have learned that I am wrong. <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. But now you're going to be a little shocked that they didn't focus on Jerry a little more. So after the crime, Jerry withdrew $15,000 from a joint bank account that he had with Seymour, like a uh, business account, faked his own death and fled to California. He took on an alias and, you know, altered his appearance, shaved his beard, changed his haircut, and a missing persons report was filed for Jerry. Uh, Okay, guilty. Go ahead. <laughs> and then after that, Marty is charged with killing his mother and attempting to kill his father. But that was changed to murder after his father died on October 6th. Oh, my God. He never he never woke up. So he didn't say anything about anything. He, he never woke up. So in late 1990, Marty went on trial in the Suffolk County District Court. And Jerry, who resurfaced, was a witness. And he said that he fled out of fear that he would be blamed. 
and he testified that he did not do it. The prosecution basically just had that confession. Right. He never signed it, but they had the... The verbal. Yeah. Okay. So that, to the jury, was enough. And on June 28, 1990, after a 13-week trial, Marty was convicted of both murders. Oh, my God. On October 23, 1990, he was sentenced to 50 years to life in prison. So, of course, he appeals. The conviction was upheld by the appellate division in December 93, but the dissenting judge said there was insufficient evidence to convict Marty. But it was a vote of three to two. So, convictions upheld. Now, this is not, not 10 years later, but close. With the support of, he had about two dozen relatives supporting him, uh, the sisters and brother of the murder victims, lawyers, you know, the Innocence Project, everyone. A retired New York City homicide detective was their private investigator, and all leads are going back to Jerry, who's, now this information comes out, Jerry's son sold cocaine out of the bagel stores, and the son's enforcer like the muscle behind him, Mm -hmm. bragged over the years about having participated in Seymour and Arlene's murders. Through the drug enforcer's arrest records, the investigator found an accomplice who admitted to having been the getaway driver on the night of the murders. So they're finding all that in about 2001. Yeah, but it's still years later. Yeah. I mean, good, but horrible. So they have, right, they have some of this kind of loose information. So finally, in 2004, with all this kind of evidence and these conflicts kind of piling up, he gets another hearing. A private investigator tracks down Glenn Harris, and he gave a sworn statement that he had driven two hitmen, Joe Creedon and Peter Kent, to and from the Tankleff residence on the night of the crime. So Glenn Harris said that they were paid $25,000 for the job. From Jerry? From Jerry. Suffolk County judge declined to grant Harris immunity from prosecution. And so he invoked his Fifth Amendment and his testimony was never heard. Carlene Kovacs said Joe Creedon, who was one of the hitmen, told her that he was involved. He said that, that he and another man hid in the bushes behind the Tankleff house, ran to avoid being caught, and had to get rid of their bloody clothes. Also, there's evidence that Detective McCready violated police department rules by showing crime scene photographs to people from the Tankleff murders. Another conflict of interest was the Suffolk County DA had represented the cocaine-selling son of Jerry. Right. During, like, a drug charge. So the prosecutor, before he was a prosecutor, represented Jerry's son. Right. And still prosecuted Marty. Ugh. Also, he had represented Detective McCready in his perjury oh my God. investigation. And that prosecutor's partner, when he was in private practice, had represented Jerry in a trial. Ugh. The lead prosecutor in the case against Marty had a business relationship with Jerry prior to the murders. One piece of new evidence was a bloody imprint on a sheet in Arlene's bedroom that appeared to be from a knife and no matching knife was found in the residence. So they're thinking that that's suggesting that someone took it and Marty was there. Right. I mean, if she was basically decapitated, 
There had to be a knife involved. But they didn't find a knife in the house, and Marty was there. So they're thinking someone else had to be there to take it out. So we've got all kinds of connections. There's, okay. So it's like nuts. But, okay, so they have all this information. But on March 17, 2006, another petition for a new trial was denied. What? Yep. On what grounds? That there wasn't anything new that would affect him being convicted, basically. Like, That's all this information doesn't... I mean, there, were, there was more evidence, obviously. It's a 13-week trial, so we're not there. This kid is a kid when this happened. He lost both right. his parents, goes to jail, and he's innocent. Well, is he? I don't know. I don't know either. On December 18th, 2007, so his parents were murdered in 88. Mm-hmm. So this is almost 30 years later. The appellate division of the New York Supreme Court in Brooklyn unanimously overturned the convictions, ruling that if a jury heard the new evidence, it would probably acquit Marty. Okay. So on December 21st, 2007, they vacated his conviction and we're giving him a retrial. The ruling said it is abhorrent to our sense of justice and fair play to countenance the possibility that someone innocent of a crime may be incarcerated or otherwise punished for a crime which he or she did not commit. So he was released and on he's, December 27th. And, and has probably served, what, 30 years already? Almost 30 years, yeah. So he's released on December 27th, 2007, and now he's got to wait for a new trial. So he's got to go through all this shit again, right? On December 28th, so the next day, the New York Times broke news that the New York State Investigation Commission began an official investigation into this whole shit show. The Suffolk County law enforcement's handling of it and everything. Right. And they said that the investigation actually began like a year ago, but they wanted to keep it out of the news so that it didn't interfere with Marty's appeal. Right. So it was literally the day after he's released the news breaks that they've been investigating it. Then in January of 2008, Elliot Spitzer, Governor Elliot Spitzer, appoints Attorney General Andrew Cuomo as special prosecutor, and Cuomo pledges to follow the evidence where it leads us. On June 30th, so six months later, Cuomo's office announced it would not retry Marty, citing insufficient evidence to prove his guilt. On July 22nd, the charges were dismissed, March 2009, Marty files a federal civil wrongful conviction lawsuit, which, yeah, yeah, he should. Of course. Yeah. So while that's pending, for, those, for that trial, they get Jerry. So in 2013, they get Jerry to do a deposition for, for the federal case, not for, you know, him being charged with murder or anything. Right. God forbid. So it's the closest that anyone ever got to speaking to him about the murders, and he refused to discuss the murders and pled the Fifth Amendment 140 times during the deposition. Ugh. So he basically didn't answer any questions, so it was, like, pointless. Right. But Marty did get $3.375 million from the state as a settlement of the lawsuit. What about 30 years? I mean, it's gone. I know. Well, while he was in jail, he didn't completely waste his time. He got his associate's degree in liberal arts. 
As soon as he got out, he enrolled at Hofstra University, got his bachelor's degree in sociology. In 2014, he graduated from law school. Him and his wife set up a Marty and Lori Tankleff scholarship to his law center where he went to school. In 2017, he passed the bar. 2018, Suffolk County settled with him for $10 million. He was sworn into practice law February 2020. And this is just, so he works at Metcalf and Metcalf, and mm -hmm. this is what they wrote about him. Mr. Tankleff will lead our prisoner and civil rights litigation group and work hand-in-hand -hand with other members of this firm on criminal defense, civil matters, and related legal matters. He is pursuing his career as an attorney, advocating criminal justice reform and wrongful convictions. He is also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University and Truro Law School. Uh -oh. Sucks, but... So wait, there's more. So Detective McCready passed away January 14, 2016. So, uh, you know, I don't think much happened to him. And Jerry was just allowed to walk away, a free man. No charges were ever brought against him. But I was reading, I was, so that's, that's it. That's the case, right? He, I was reading something. So I was like totally on board. I'm like, he didn't do it. No way. He did not do it. Okay, so do you remember I mentioned um, the sister, the, not the half-sister, I guess she would be? Yes. That Seymour had a child, Sherry. Yes. She, so before his thing was convicted, there was this article written. She swears he did it. Really? There's something called adopted child syndrome, uh, which is like yeah. an actual mental illness or something. And so when I read this article, I was like, wow, none of this stuff was mentioned in any of his things that are showing him in the innocent light. But when you read this article, I guess there's some signs that this might have been coming. He always felt abandoned by his biological parents. They were getting a divorce, I guess. And that's why she gave him up because she couldn't raise a kid on her own. So now it's saying that Seymour and Arlene were getting a divorce which I didn't see that anywhere but in this article, but they were going to get a divorce and that triggered something in him to think like he's going to be abandoned. So he started to do some weird shit and they said he got like a nose job right before and that might have like set something off in him, something weird and he wasn't doing well in school. So like there was some signs that he was kind of falling apart a little bit before this. Right. Doesn't mean you're a murderer. <laughs> no, but, but the entire pretty much the whole family supported him I, I I don't think I mean uh I don't think so I don't think he did it so this is what Cuomo's investigation actually said so we're led to believe based on news reports and stuff that it exonerated him but it really said Although there is some evidence the defendant Martin Tankleff committed the crimes charged, after 20 years the evidence is insufficient to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did so. There was no sign of a break-in or a robbery, and the defendant, who was the only other person in the house, was unharmed. The defendant made vague but incriminatory statements to a family member and direct confessions to some fellow inmates in prison. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't find that in news, but I mean, it's quoted from Cuomo's. Yeah, I mean, is it a possibility? Of course, there's a possibility, but 
or did he have something to do with it? I don't know. I also do think it's strange that he wasn't harmed, but I don't know. It's hard to say. What do you think? Like, I feel like Jerry did it. But again, why would he leave Marty fine? But also, why would he escape and, you know. Okay, I- so here's some of the stuff from before. I'm sorry. He ha- got suspended from high school for threatening a student with a switchblade knife. When the other student began dating a girl Marty had taken to the junior prom. So it was like a, a another rejection kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. And then I told you about the um, divorce thing. So three fellow high school students testified at his trial, the first trial, that Marty was still wearing the bandages from his nose job when he told them if he could get a hit on his parents, if they were killed, he could realize his fantasy of a fancy car like a Ferrari or Lamborghini. Hmm. Is it possible that he had something to do with it? Anything's possible. But wouldn't Jerry say that? You know what I'm saying? All of these people, these hitmen, and they never pointed the finger at Marty, correct? He could have just been a messed up kid. It doesn't mean that he's a murderer. No, no, I know, but it's just an interesting little twist. Absolutely adds a twist. Because it's not as cut and dry as it's made to seem. Right. In news reports and stuff. Right. They want to have the exoneree story. It seems like he was a bit troubled, and maybe it wasn't being addressed. But I don't know if that makes him a murderer. Well. And there wouldn't have been a breaking in if Jerry did it because he was there. Right. So the break in, that really the break doesn't in, say anything. Yeah, that, the break-in part doesn't bother me because he was there. So there right, was no need for a break-in. Right. They're kind of saying, well, Marty was there and there was no forced entry and no robbery. I'm like, yeah, well, Jerry wasn't robbing him either. He, You know what I mean? So R- Right. Right. It just seems like there were too many shade ball things happening with Jerry and the detective and Jerry's son selling cocaine and for it to just be a coincidence that all of that is circling around Seymour and Arlene and they get murdered and it's their son. Right. I don't know. But apparently it's like a thing where like adopted kids. Absolutely. I I know many. Like lose their shit. Yes. And I know many kids who have been who have been adopted that definitely had behavioral issues and problems absolutely not all of them no i'm sure not but it is a situation that has to be handled and addressed yes because you do get those abandonment issues but you know not knowing anything about his family history his biological family history makes it hard to kind of guess if there was some sort of mental illness that would make this break with reality splitting because and in his confession when he was saying like he must have blacked out and done it he said i didn't do it but maybe the other marty did it something like that they were like what huh yeah so (laughs) i don't know when those things come out you're kind of like what right he did it but listen he's been out He's married. He's doing good work. So, I mean, not not if he did it, but if he did, he served 30 years. People people serve 30 years for murder and get out. He just doesn't have the stigma of the conviction. Correct. So he can go and pass the bar and right. get a good job. And 
uh, very interesting. That's like a it's like a a movie. Oh it's, well, there's about six thousand probably. Um, every crime show you think of has covered this. Yeah. I think they were on Oprah. They were on 60 Minutes. They were on all all of them. Yeah, so very, very I, I don't interesting. know who did it. And I don't, um, yeah, I, I was going to say I don't have an opinion on this one. No, I know. I was totally all in. Like, he didn't do it. And then I found that article and I was like, holy shit. And then I, like, looked at the newspaper because they cite the newspaper articles. So I went to just make sure this wasn't, like, bullshit. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Okay, so... Now I don't know. I don't know. So that was this week. So right. I'm a little all over the place because this is a extremely hectic time of year for me. So I'm doing my best. But then I saw, do you remember the show um, Crime Salad? Uh, yes. Okay. So I just kind of check in on them because I feel like they were like one of the first that we were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you're supporting me. I'll, I'll follow you kind of thing. Yeah. And they, they kind of, you know, it's like their job, like their full-time job. Like they really, and they're younger, so they know how to social media, everything and all that. Yeah. She literally had a baby and four days later was editing an episode with the freaking baby. I was like, oh shit, I got no excuses, but <laughs> they're getting paid. Mm, There's a big difference. You got four their babies. Their motivation is to pay the bills, though. Right. You know, if you people want to pay me, I'll be more consistent. I'll give you a quarter. That is exactly what we're going to leave this episode on. Sing a song, go. Nefarious New York. With the last guest, Jerry, so now you're going to help me with this last name, S-T-E-U-E-R-M-A-N. Stewerman? 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 It's like E-U-E. Stewerman. Stewerman. Okay. Stewerman. 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 Stewerman.